The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would be present with us this morning. You would give us focused minds, hearts that are seeking your word and what you have to say. Open our hearts that we wouldn't be blinded by our sin. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through Randall, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and point us to where we need the gospel, to point us to how Jesus is better than anything and everything that we turn to. I pray this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to see you. My name is Randall. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And just uh, wanted to say uh, that it's always great to see your face, to be here in person, um, to gather as God's church together. And um, if you're just joining us this morning, we've been going through the book of Acts. And so we are walking through the book of Acts, looking at the early church, how the early church operated. And I think it's very helpful for us, informative for us, as um, I think many ways we, we can relate because there's a simplicity to the early church. There's a focus from the early church that, that we need that we need to remember, right? And what we see is that the early church was not perfect. It wasn't like everybody was perfect in this early church, right? They had issues, they had problems, but their focus was on Christ. Their focus was on the gospel. And so today we're going to be looking at Acts 7, 1 through 8. And as we started uh, last week, we were talking about Stephen, who was a disciple of Jesus. We see him raised up into this, this position of being uh, what we call a deacon, uh, a servant. But this role of being in leadership in the kingdom of God is not going up here, but coming down here. Serving the people. Willingly putting yourself in positions of vulnerability so that you can serve the least of these. What we see is it looks very much like Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at Stephen and his message starting today. And, and, and as Josiah said, this is the, the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And it's preached by Stephen. Should surprise us, right? Not by Paul, not by Peter, 
but by Stephen. And what is the message that he's preaching? Well, it's this, that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Now, this past week in the New York Times, there was an opinion piece by a lady named Lee Stein entitled, The Empty Religions of Instagram. How did influencers become our moral authorities? And here's what she said. She says, quasi-spiritual influencers are the latest iteration of an American institution that has been around since the second half of the 20th century, the tele-evangelist. I've hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. She says, I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't shilling a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. The whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. And here's how she finishes. She says, there is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Let me tell you, she's, she's what she considers one of the nuns. Nuns are people who, who don't have any religious affiliation. She says a growing vast majority of people that are, that are joining the nuns. Contrary to what you might have seen on Instagram, our purpose is not to optimize our one wild and precious life. It's time to search for meaning beyond the electric church that keeps us addicted to our phones and alienated from our closest kin. This is a person who, again, identifies themselves as a nun, but says that we have a deeper need that's in all of us. And as we've been studying the early church, we're seeing that this tight-knit community of true believers that love Christ, that are, that are learning the ways of Jesus, are leaning in. And there's this man, Stephen, who is standing up courageously to, let me just say, the religious influencers of the day. The religious powers that be. The ones who are the most influential in their society. He's standing up to them and boldly proclaiming the message that Jesus is greater. That the focus shouldn't be on them, but it should be on Christ. And this message was needed then just as much as it's needed now. Do, do you hear the cry? People are looking for something more, something real. And what Stephen preaches today is that it's found in Jesus. It's found in him. And so our text is from Acts 7, 1 through 8. And here's the question. How does Stephen stand before this powerful group of influencers and proclaim Christ? How does he do this? What, what, what's the difference in him? Well, here's what we see in him. He stands with a God-filled courage, a God-directed history, and a God-centered salvation. A God-filled courage, 
a God-directed history, and a God-centered salvation. So we're going to see that as we break down these eight verses from Acts 7, 1 through 8. So the first one is this, a God-filled courage. Look at verses 1 and the first part of 2. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. Now what's happening here? Well, there's two parts to this. And the first one is this. We need to look at this this text and, and we need to ask, who's asking the questions here? Right? Who's asking this question? As, as Stephen's standing there, he's been uh, caught for preaching the gospel. He's been brought before these men. What is it that, or who is it that he's, he's, he's speaking to? Well, it says the high priest said. Now, the high priest is most likely the same high priest who lobbied for Jesus to be crucified, Caiaphas. This is most likely before AD 36. And so Stephen is standing before the same man who went eye to eye with the God of the universe, Jesus. Looked at Jesus, said that Jesus was a blasphemer. And was the one who lobbied again for him to go to the cross. And so now Stephen is standing before that same man being asked, are these things so? Because that's, that's the next part, right? It's not just who, but it's, it's what he's asking him. He's very specific in this question, and this is an important question. Are these things so? Now, like what we la- looked at last week, there was, a, there was a group of people that were stirred up because they, they, they started to say that, that Stephen was preaching against Moses, against the temple, against the religious systems and customs. Stephen was preaching against this. And so what we found is that there was a setup that started to happen. There were false accusations that were made about Stephen. And they looked to arrest him. And throughout, the the message was very clear. It's not about the temple. It's not about Moses. It's not about any of these things, but it's about Jesus. And it frustrated and infuriated these same men who were the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. Because what this looked like is, we're wrong, he's right. And so there's manipulation going on, there's things that are happening. They just want to protect their reputation amongst the people. See, it's more about their reputation than actually seeking out the truth. And with that, Stephen is standing before these men with a very serious risk involved. See, in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through, 1 through 5, it talks about this. But in verse, in verse 5 in, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, it says, That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord our God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. The prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way of the Lord your command, uh, God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. So basically what he's, what he's doing is he's putting himself in a position where he's saying, this is the way that God is leading. He worked through the temple. 
He worked through Moses. He worked through the customs. But no longer is he working through that system, but he is giving us Jesus, and Jesus is greater. And he's standing before these men who know this passage and want to use this passage to say, he's a false prophet. He's just a dreamer. And yet Stephen is standing courageously before Caiaphas and the religious leaders with a confidence that can only be explained as a God confidence. Now we've seen this already in the book of Acts, right? Remember Acts 4, 13? It says this, Now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Remember that? That Jesus took the unschooled common and worked through them. We see the same thing happening in the life of Stephen. Who, like we said, not, not too long before this, was waiting tables, serving widows and orphans. And Stephen is filled with this courage. See, here's the thing about God, God's message. It's not just about the message, which is true. It's also about the messenger that it's coming through. It's about you and me. It's about a real message that has transformed our lives. And what we've seen here is that Stephen has been transformed by the message of Jesus. And there's power that comes in that. And he's standing courageously because he's a transformed person from the inside out. Secondly, we see a God-directed history. Look at the second part of, of 2 into 4. The God of glory. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, you can underline that if you've got a pen. The God of glory, because this is what is like central to all of this. Okay? So the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from the kindred and go out into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After his father died, God removed, from him, or removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Now in verse 2, why is it so important that we underline the, the God of glory? What we've seen here throughout is that there is a belief system that these leaders of the day are believing. And here's what they believed. The glory was in the temple. The glory was in the religious customs and traditions that they had. The glory was in Moses and Abraham and all of these people. But Stephen is preaching a different message. He's saying, you think that the glory was in them when actually it's in God. See, what they were believing was a man-centered gospel instead of a God-centered gospel. And Stephen's making it very clear as he's preaching here, it's the God of glory. It's the God of glory. 
You want to know how all this started? You want to know how you're sitting here in these positions and, and there's this temple and all this stuff? You want to know how that happened? It's because of the God of glory. And he goes on to explain through history how this works. He says this. He says, the God of, God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And so it's not this. It's not, if you read through the, the story of, of Abraham, you can go back. Genesis 11 and 12. Well, we talked about this at church. We walked through the book of Genesis. Remember that? One of the things that we saw with Abraham is that Abraham and his family were actually worshiping other idols. They were worshiping other gods. And then it says that God came to Abraham and spoke to him. So like we got this whole system where you're lifting up Abraham, but Abraham was actually worshiping false gods. It was actually God who interjected himself into a relationship with Abraham to even make it possible. Right? This wasn't like Abraham just came up one day and says, I'm going to be this godly man. I'm going to follow God. No, God appeared to him. God appeared to our father Abraham. But it's not only that, it's this, that God said. God said to him, verse 3, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And so what this is, is it's not just that God appeared to him, but God called him to trust him. So we're, we're talking about Moses who is set for life had everything, right? All settled in like he was good. And God is saying, okay, you, you know how settled you are? I want you to go out from there. I want you to trust me. Right, the, the, this group of, of people, these leaders that were so established in their own ways, they were so, so established in their own customs. They were settled in. What we have to be reminded about is this, that the life of a believer in God is not about being established like this, but it's living in faith. It'll always be about faith. Hebrews tells us that, that, that you can't please God without faith. And so what do we see here? Well, God said something to Abraham, and he told him to go out from everything that you're comfortable with. And then in verse 4, it says that God removed him. After his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. You want to know how you got here. Again, God brought you here. Like, we, you didn't just establish this. You didn't, all this structured, all these things didn't just get here because you thought that you did it. God did it. God built it. See, what this is, is a history lesson to the leaders of the time about what they'd forgotten. What they'd forgotten. They forgot that God built this. They didn't. They thought it was all these things that got here were just because they were just really good at following God. No. This was a God-directed history. 
And this message that Stephen is, is preaching is really setting it all up to, to help them to understand that God is sovereign over history and everything is leading to something that's bigger that they, they've just missed. He's like leading them into this. But he's telling them something that they've missed. And so lastly, it's this, a God-centered salvation, verses 5 through 8. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that you serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the, the, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Now, what is this God-centered salvation that Stephen preaches about from the life of Abraham? You know, I, I love looking at the life of Abraham because there's so many pointers to the gospel, to the message of Christ. There's so many. But what we see here is this, that this message, verse 5, yet you gave him no inheritance in it. We have to understand that the message of Christianity is a desperate message. It's coming to God needy. It's not coming to God saying, I've got it all together. I figured out my life. I've got all these plans to, to get my life to God. No, it, it, is, it is one that is very needy. It says, one friend said, we are beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. That's the gospel message. And so it has to start out in this place of desperation. And what we see here is that for Abraham, he had no inheritance. Hold on, I thought he had an inheritance from his father. He did. But that wasn't the real inheritance. That wasn't the eternal inheritance. No, there was something greater that he was inheriting than just possessions. Said that he had no child. Verse 5, but promised to give him to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Again, the position he's in, he feels very disadvantaged. It's very desperate. Remember, remember, remember the story of Abraham. What, what happens with Sarah, right? Like it, it, she, she laughs when she's told that she's going to have a child. She laughs. And so we have to remember the desperate situation that they're in here. This isn't something that they could have come up with. And what we need to understand is the same is true, that in this desperation is when there was a child that was born. Jesus, right? That, that God sent his son into a desperate situation. When there was no child to be the Savior, he sent a child to be the Savior. And in, in that, it's dependent. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. 
You want to know what it is to be a Christian, to be a, a disciple? It's to be a sojourner through this world. It's to walk in, in, in dependence on God every day. Why? God spoke this to effect that, that you and me, we are not citizens of this world, but we are citizens in heaven. And that we live for a different kingdom than this world. And there is a dependence in that. But it's also accountable, right? But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they will come out and worship me in this place, right? We have a Lord and Savior. Because as he's preaching this gospel, as he's preaching this God-centered salvation, it brings us back to God as the true judge, as our Lord. And then we see lastly, it's God alone. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Here's what it is. This covenant that God makes is a reminder that salvation as a Christian is God's doing, not our doing. It's God's doing, not our doing. He's talking to people who understood the history of Israel. He's talking to people who understood what God did within history. But again, their focus wasn't on God. It was on themselves. And what this should bring to mind is in Genesis 16. There's this visual that happens where where, where Abraham is asking, he's saying, God, how do I know that you are going to keep your promise. How do I know? Haven't we all asked that at some point? Like, how do I know, God, that you're out there? That you're going to keep your promise? How do I know? And so God puts Abraham to sleep. These, the animal carcasses the, were, were split in half. Split in two. And usually in this, in this, uh, this tradition, if this happens, it's like two people coming together making a promise. And what we see in this that happens is, is, is like Abraham sees it almost like in this dream and he's seeing it happening and these animal carcasses are put on two sides and usually you walk through, both, both parties walk through. And both of them are saying, okay, if, if, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then you can cut me into pieces just like these animal carcasses here. This happens in Genesis 16. An amazing account. And what we see is there's this visual of God walking through the carcasses. But Abraham never has to walk through the carcass. And basically what he's saying is this, that if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then you can cut me into pieces. But also, if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, you can cut me into pieces. That's why we have to see the, the, the message of Abraham, the story of Abraham. It's so important to our, our life as Christians because you know what? It happens. 
God held up his end of the bargain, but we didn't. We sinned. We failed God. If it were built on a man-centered salvation and our ability to build up temples and, and traditions and follow all the rules, then we would have been able to do it, but we didn't. And so what happened? God walks through the pieces and through Jesus Christ is mangled hanging on a cross in pieces for you and me, for us. Do you see why this God-centered salvation is so important? That's what he's done for us. That's what he's paid for. And as Stephen is preaching, that's what he's pointing to. And that's the eventual end of this message. See, these leaders needed to hear that it's not built on some religiosity from themselves or an ability to follow the rules and build this temple. No. It was built solely upon the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and who God is and what God can do in our lives despite our sin because he's died for it. And so some takeaways. How can we live remembering that Jesus is greater in whatever situation we face? First one is this. Courage comes by seeing our natural cowardice. By seeing our natural cowardice. Right? It, it, it's this, that, that God works through the weak. He works through the lowly. He works through the humble, the servant-hearted. That as God is working through this man, Stephen, that he can work through you. As you come to him humble, lowly, needy, desperate. It actually says that, that the eyes of the Lord search the earth for those who will humble themselves before him. Like, don't, don't you feel that? Don't you want that? Don't you desire that? Like, the, that the Lord would work through you. And the way he does it is through naturally cowardly people. Right? We've seen that in the life of Peter and John. Because if you look at Peter, Peter was the one who was so excited to go out and die for Jesus until he actually had to face it. And it was Jesus who comes to him and restores him teaches them a new way. It says, follow me, trust me, believe in me. Don't believe in yourself anymore, your own abilities, your own thoughts of what the kingdom of God should look like. Trust me. And, and, and that's where, that's the place that God restores Peter. All right, is that you? Do you feel scared? Do you feel alone? Because you, you, in our cowardice, we can bow up and act like we got it, the strength to do it, or we can cower in fear in the corner. But both of those, those are built on ourselves, aren't they? What does it look like to, to live with a true God confidence? But it's okay to say, you know what? Naturally, I act in cowardly ways, whether that be I power up and try to do it on my own strength, or I power down and say there's no way, and I just cower in a corner. God wants to meet us in that place and say, no, I want to teach you what it looks like to be confident in me, not in yourself anymore. A different kind of courage. 
John Piper said, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. You hear that? Because God promises to help you and save you. An act takes courage. If it will likely be painful, the pain may be physical or the pain may be mental as in confrontation or controversy. Courage is indispensable for both spreading and preserving the truth of Christ. Right? There has to be these courageous moments for you and me in our society to trust in what Christ says and to live that out. Again, because the, 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 the message of Christianity is not just a verbal one. It, it, it flows into our life. It's who we are. It's us on the inside, living that out in the world. Second is this, remembering God's faithfulness builds our obedience. See, what is, what is Stephen doing here in this message? He's pointing back to milestones within history where God worked powerfully. It's reminders of who God is and what he does. See, he does this in our lives. God's the one who does this in our lives. And so when, when we look at our history, like even in our life, are we overwhelmed with how gracious God has been? Do you see those milestones in the past where you thought, there's no way that I could get out of this situation. No way I could walk through that valley. But I'm here. God got me here. Not here on my own. You know, one of the things we do, we, we try to think about our future and we think, well, I, I, can, I can do this on my ability, on my strength. I, I, can, I can just like kind of plan out my own future. But here's the thing. Our lives are built on God's faithfulness. It has to be for lives of faith. Once Leslie Newbegin talked about um, the idea that the, the Christian has laid down their right, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's basically said that the Christian has, has laid down their right to control the future. To say, I know what's going to happen. Again, because we live by faith. And so for us, for you and me, remembering God's faithfulness is going to build our obedience because you know what? You have to obey in the unknown. You have to obey in the confusion. You have to obey when you don't know what's about to happen because Stephen, as he's preaching this message, he knows that he's on the chopping block. He knows it. But he's okay with it. Because what we're going to see is he knows that his life is in God's hands. It's always in God's hands. But remembering God's faithfulness in the past is going to build our obedience in the future. Lastly, this, the gospel exposes our self-reliance. Right? As Stephen is preaching this message here, what's happening? It's exposing the ways in which these leaders weren't preaching about Christ, weren't putting their, their faith in Jesus, but they were actually putting their faith in what they could do and all of the things that were around them, and, and, and they were rejecting that. Expose our self-reliance. 
See, what the gospel, what the good news is calling us to is, again, not good advice to make your life better. What it is, is good news that God can save us in our most desperate need. You feel needy right now, you feel broken, you feel lost. God meets you in that place. It's okay to come to him and know that he's enough because that's our lives as Christians. But you know, the gospel message will continue to expose us again and again and again. So let me wrap up with this. As we think about how Jesus is greater and, and Stephen was preaching about Abraham, there, there's this amazing text in Galatians 3.8. Now remember, we're going to meet uh, Saul who becomes Paul later in the book of Acts. But one of the things that Paul says later, who he knows the Hebrew scriptures. He knows them. Here's what he says. And the scripture, Galatians 3.8, and the scripture, whole scripture, what he would have been talking about, Hebrew scripture, Old Testament. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, you and me, mostly, most likely you and me, by faith, by faith, we're talking about here, right? Dependence on God. By faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Preached the gospel? Hold on, who preached the gospel? God preached the gospel. To who? To Abraham. Hold on, I thought the gospel came when Jesus came. No, no, no. He preached the gospel to Abraham back in Genesis. And he said... In you shall all the nations be blessed. Why are you and I blessed today? Why are the nations blessed? Because God came. He was torn to pieces. And he died for our sins. And he didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. And he rose above the temple. He rose above the, 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 the traditions. He rose above all of those things so that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And when that becomes good news to your heart, you'll be like Abraham, who heard that gospel message, who heard that good news. And it hit him to the heart. And he followed God in faith not knowing what the future held, but knowing the one who hold, held him. He knew who held him. You know that today? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, we are, we are a, a desperate and needy people, Lord. I, I know for myself, I, I, I need you every single day, Lord. May we take this time, this season, to remember the goodness of Christ and what he's done. Lord, I thank you for this message from Stephen. I thank you for the life that, that he lived in faith, trusting you, standing up to the influencers of the day. Not preaching about himself, but pointing to the glory of God. May we live pointing to the glory of God, not to ourselves. May we live with the freedom of self-forgetfulness as we trust in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.